This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. I'm Brad Watson. Thanks for listening. Today, I wanted to bring everyone a important teaching from our founder, Jeff Vanderstelt, about how to form a missional community. And while you might be listening to this podcast and a, and a regular listener because you're, you're leading one and you're part of a missional community and, and you love the whole concept and you're completely bought in. However, I find that it's really important, especially in these summertime months where we're, you know, on vacation, where we're kind of engaged in more relational, outward-oriented connections, to, to also take time to sit back and to remember why we're doing this anyway, how are we going about it, and to sort of just go back and, and refresh ourselves. Uh, every time I listen to this teaching by Jeff, I am awakened to new ideas I'm reminded of things that I've forgotten. I, I, the Spirit uses it to sort of pique my interest in a few areas, especially as I enter in a new school year, which for many people is the defining sort of rhythm of, okay, now we're back into normal life after the summer vacations and breaks. And so that's why I wanted to bring you this teaching today from Jeff to, to further equip us so that we're able to not only establish good gospel missional communities, but that we're able to be fruitful, multiply, but also just know who we are and what we're doing. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. I want to take some time just to cast a, a bit of a vision and an overview for what are the necessary elements for forming and leading a missional community. Uh, I want to just give the caveat that as I go through this, uh, I am not planning on teaching on every one of these. I just want to introduce you to the concept with the goal that you'll actually go and learn more from some of the other training that we've provided. So hopefully this gives you a big overview of some of the things that will be necessary to form a really healthy missional community. The first thing that we've learned is that when we start a missional community, we wanna start with shared leadership. Uh, oftentimes what happens is people will start a missional community and it'll be one or one leader or maybe a couple and they're trying to take everything all on themselves. And what, what we end up with then is the same problem that we often see in churches is that everything kind of rises and falls on one leader. And, and therefore they become overwhelmed, they become a little overburdened. And I've even heard people say to us uh, in the past, like how in the world, Jeff, do you do this with all these people in your life and all these activities and you're talking about day-to-day -day rhythms and, and, I, and I have to correct them and say, wait a minute, you need to understand like it's not all on me. I'm expecting my whole group to start to take responsibility for each other in how we live as a mission community. And if you start out with just a singular leader or just a couple all by themselves, you'll unfortunately set a precedent that everything rises and falls on that one or two people. And so we've found that we wanna start with shared leadership. I think it's ideal if you can have more than two, like three, uh, and, and even upwards to four or five. And we, we try to use the Ephesians 4 picture of of equipping leaders that God gives to the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd and teacher. Granted, we may not have all of those in full maturity in a missional community, but we'd like to have a balance of some. Uh, I, like even in my case, I tend to be more A and E, which is 
I have a missionary mindset as, an, as more of an apostolic leader and a real heart to preach the gospel and call people to the mission. My wife tends to be more uh, kind of a prophetic shepherd. So she's thinking about how are we caring for people as well as how are we really getting serious about the issues that are broken in our world. And so together we're great, but we still need more because if it's only her and I leading it by ourselves, then everyone will think it's all up to us. And so right away we want to bring as many people around us to balance out our weaknesses, to share more leadership. And so as you think about starting a missional community, please ask yourselves, who are we going to do it with? What kinds of expressions of the gifts do we have? And how can we lean into each other in the different strengths and weaknesses God has given us? And if you start with that in the, in the beginning, you'll set a precedent that you want everyone in the missional community to take ownership of it versus just one or two. Uh, there'll be more on that later if you want to uh, look more on how you can begin to create a culture that has shared leadership around the Ephesians 4 model. Uh, second, build on a gospel foundation. Too often, missional communities start and they let the mission be the leading edge. And that's important. You need to identify a mission. We'll get to that in a minute. But if you don't form a foundation on the gospel, then, then the activity of mission will become your gospel. It'll be, the good news will be what you do uh, instead of what God has done and, and is doing in Jesus Christ for you. And unfortunately, what you'll end up doing is building the, putting the weight of the missional community on your abilities and on your strengths and your gifts instead of on who God is and what He's done for us in the person and work of Jesus. So as we think about building a foundation on the gospel, we really think about four key aspects in, in this. One, gospel power, that you, you know that the, the gospel is good news because it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. That's in Romans 1, 16 and 17. And, and so gospel power has to do with the fact that we've been saved. So it, it deals with our past and all that we've done, that, that God has forgiven us, that Jesus did really die for sins, and that our sins are forgiven. There's no more guilt, no more shame, no more need to perform. Your people are going to need that because if they don't get that grounded in the very beginning of their, their hearts, they're going to go and do work to get accepted by God. They're going to go and do good deeds to make up for the bad deeds. They're going to they're try and put on the, the covering of their own works to cover up the shame of their sin instead of putting on the covering of Jesus and His righteousness, trusting in His atoning sacrifice to really cleanse them and make them free from all guilt and shame. So you've got to really establish them in the fact that they've been saved and that they're being saved, that God is still at work rescuing them and changing them, and, 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 and he's, he's not stopped. He will finish what He started. And that has to do really with the power of the resurrection by His Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And people can live a new life and God is actively saving His people still of their unbelief and their brokenness. And then that we will be saved, that there's a future hope that our salvation is kept in heaven for us, secure, unfading. It can't be defiled. First Peter 1 tells us this. And so that means we, we help people to realize they've got nothing to be afraid of anymore. And you're going to find as you lead people on a mission, if they don't believe that, they're going to have tons of fears that are keeping them paralyzed. And they'll be afraid of stepping out for what people will do to them, what people will think of them. They'll, they'll live a life of self-protection instead of a, a life of self-abandonment because they're really not free in the gospel. So the gospel power, also the gospel people. We've got to help establish them in their new identity in Christ that is expressed in their baptism, that they were old and now they're new. They have a brand new identity in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And then we want to lead them out into the gospel purposes, that they've been saved for a purpose, that whatever God has done to them, he wants to now do through them. And then lastly, gospel practices, where they see the gospel informing the everyday rhythms of life, and they live their everyday life in a radically different way. The way they eat, the way they celebrate, the way they rest, the way they work, the way they play, all that is being reformed and reinformed by the gospel. So we want to build that strong gospel foundation so they know what's motivating them, what, what's leading them, what their hope is in. And then third, we want to teach them to be able to live with gospel intentionality. So as your group thinks through this, you know, is there shared leadership? Do we know the gospel? And are we being led with intentionality in light of the gospel? Let me give you some examples of that. If you're really believing the gospel and you're building the foundation on the gospel, then it will lead your people to prayerful dependency because they'll know it's not up to us to save, it's up to God. So you're going to begin to see prayer become a key part of the group's uh, existence, that, that they pray for those that they're trying to reach, that they pray for one another, that they grow in their prayers, that their, their prayers move from a feeble, uh, weak request of God to bold request of God, because God hears the prayers of the righteous. Just like Elijah, and he, he caused rain to fall, or he calls it to stop, because of, of, of Elijah's trust in God's ability to do all these things. So as they grow in their foundation of the gospel, and their confidence in God's power to save, their prayer lives will grow as well. And that'll be a great expression of whether or not they're putting their hope and faith in God to do the work or in themselves. You'll also want to make sure that they're really getting to know the story of God. In other words, they're going to need to know how to tell the narrative of God's work to redeem humanity from Genesis to Revelation. We provide some tools on that. If you've ever been, uh, been through the story of God, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, we provide uh, two different tools. One's the story form way, which is a 10-week uh, process of bringing people through the story. Uh, there's also a longer one that's uh, about 23 weeks of it. We provide one for children as well. But you've got to make sure your group knows the story because if they don't know the grand narrative of God's redemptive plan, they won't know how to live in light of it. And when they know the story and they realize they're part of it, it changes how they see their entire world and what they do. Uh, also within this gospel intentionality, then you'll need to become familiar with each other's stories. We encourage people to take time to hear each other's stories. In fact, a lot of times in a missional community, we'll just take uh, a, a, a whole meeting time to hear one or two or three stories where they'll share their story and they'll tell it in, in line with the, the gospel narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And they'll tell their story in a way that shows that they, they do believe Jesus has changed their life. Now, the beauty of doing this together is when people tell their story and Jesus isn't the hero, you know that you probably haven't developed a gospel foundation very well in their life yet. So this, in a way, allows you to test the, the strength of your group's gospel foundation and where they struggle to believe the gospel is sufficient for them. And the beauty is we're all struggling through this. So none of us have arrived and, and we're all going to have different places where the foundation of the gospel hasn't been well established in, in different aspects of how we live. But the beauty, when you, the beauty that you'll experience when you share it to one another is we'll get to know each other well. We'll get to know where we need to help each other grow up in Christ because the, the doubts will be revealed. The, the areas of struggle will be seen for what they are and then we can help each other. And then that's the last thing. You'll have to become proficient in, in uh, sharing the gospel to the unbelief in each other's hearts. 
uh, I, I like to refer to this as gospel fluency. You're going to want to help your group grow in gospel fluency. And, and we do provide some training on that. But let me just say this. You won't get good at gospel fluency if you don't speak it out to one another. It's not just concepts and ideas that you listen to and understand. It's stuff you have to say. You have to practice proclaiming the good news of Jesus to our real needs. We, we actually teach on how you can do this just using the communion elements as we remember our, the Lord through the Lord's Supper and use the bread and the cup to reflect on all that we have in Christ. And so you could even practice doing that as a group, regularly breaking bread and, and taking the bread and taking the cup and letting someone share their real need where they're struggling to believe and then someone else can speak the gospel into that need using the bread and the cup. So those are just some examples, but you'll need to go from gospel foundation to actual gospel intentionality, praying, speaking, hearing, and, and reforming with the gospel over and over and over again in, in your group's life. And the reason why is because if we don't get the gospel, then what do we have? If we go out on mission, but we never talk about Jesus, we're not on his mission. So we want to be on Jesus' mission to make disciples of Jesus. And so that leads to the fourth thing, and that is we've got to have then a clearly defined mission. Now, let me just give a little caveat here. I would recommend that you don't just do these sequentially. Some of them overlap. So, for instance, when you start a missional community, it's really good to have a good idea of who you're trying to reach before you even start it. Like, who is God sending us to versus, hey, we're going to hang out for a year or two and just wait for it to happen. No, identify a neighborhood or a people group, uh, uh, a particular um, set of, uh, of people in your city that you know needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage that in some ways these are all happening at the same time if you can. I mean, don't, don't wait till you've got really strong gospel-centered people to define a mission. But I would also give you the caveat, don't go out on mission if you have no gospel. So you want to make sure those are kind of like hand-in-glove kinds of activities. So identify who it is you believe you're called to make disciples of. And then you're going to have to do some work on defining the difference between reactive and proactive mission. Um, and I almost don't like that language because I, I don't want it to seem negative and positive. But the idea of reactive is in all of life, we're all on mission all the time. And you don't want to discount the, the everyday life of the people in your mission community as though that doesn't matter. Because when they go to the grocery store, they're on mission. When they're hanging out with their kids in the park, they're on mission. When they go to work, they're on mission. They're always on the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and so we don't want to in some way say, no, the only thing that we define as mission in terms of the people group we're sent to, that's the only mission. The rest of your life doesn't count. No, all of your life counts. And along the way, you're always paying attention to who God brings across your path. That's the reactive mission. And we want to affirm the kind of Good Samaritan story where Jesus tells the one who comes along the path and all the religious leaders don't pay attention to the guy who's beat up on the road. And it happens to be the Good Samaritan that does. We want to be more like the Good Samaritan in that sense and that whatever is along the way is, is part of the mission of God. But then at the same time, we found that if you don't have a proactive mission, meaning a people group that you together are going to reach then, then you, you've lost in some ways the focus or the context in which you get to train up disciples who can make disciples. Think of Jesus. He says, follow me and I will make you, I will make you fishers of men. So what does he do? He takes them on his mission. And while they're on his mission, he's training them for their mission. 
And so after two or three years, he can then say to them, now I'm going to send you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. So the only way you're going to really effectively train people is to get them focused on a common mission together. So at least there's some common activities that will get the, the family together enough for you to see how well are they doing at learning how to make disciples who make disciples. So that clearly defined mission is absolutely imperative. And then as you define it, begin to pray intentionally for it. And then make sure that you begin to build the life of the community around it, which is number five. This is where you, 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 you look at the mission and say, if we were to actually be involved in the flow of life, of the cultural schedule of the people God's calling us to reach, how would we adjust our lives for that? How would we reorient our lives for the people God's called us to? Oftentimes, when I'm working with a missional community and they're trying to define who it is they believe God's calling them to together to reach, one of the first questions I'll ask to see if they've effectively defined a mission is, how could you imagine Monday through Sunday looking different? Uh, what would it look like? What would the, be the rhythm of your life all week long if you were faithfully engaged in the cultural rhythm, rhythms of the people God's sending you to reach there? Well, could you define it? And if they can't define it, you know, they're just sitting back like, I don't know. I guess we'd have a weekly event, invite them. Okay, then you haven't really defined your mission well. Because when you define your mission well, then you can begin to talk through how would we adjust our lives for that? How would we reorient what we do to reach those people? So for instance, we recently had a group that said we, that they felt called to a local high school, in particular, the football team and the players that were there. And many of the players... Uh, about 85% don't have a, uh, a father. And so they realized if we're going to reach out to this community and bring the family of God experience to this football team so that they might come to know God's love for them as a father and come to know Jesus and what he's done for them through his life and death and resurrection, how would we, how would we engage in their life? What rhythms would we get into? And so they realized, man, we're going to have to go to practices, some of us. Now, not everybody could because others were working during practice. Well, then they went to games on Friday nights and, and then some worked with helping to, to like work on the stadium and paint the bleachers or uh, work on the grounds. And some other people said, well, we'll have kids over when they need a place to land and study or get a meal or we'll help people think through how to apply for college or uh, maybe even help them raise money when needed for football programs or for, uh, to send them to the college to visit and see what college they're going to go to. And so they began to think through the rhythms of the week. And so some would go to practice, some would go to workouts, some would go to games, some would watch kids so others could go to games. And they began to define how the rhythms of their week would change if they were going to reach those people. And that's how you know that they've, they've identified a mission because you can begin to adjust the life around that mission. Now, some things to keep in mind as you're thinking about the adjustment of life around that mission. Not only do you need to think about the weekly schedule, but you'll also have to think through the seasons and patterns of the culture that you're being sent into. So for instance, to use the example of the high school football team, that the majority of their emphasis of time on that campus is during football season. And then, then they're going to follow up after that doing different kinds of things after football's done. And, and so it, their, their rhythm is going with the culture. If you're going to a college campus and you want to reach college students, likely the, the most intentional engagement on the front end of meeting new people will be the fall when freshmen are coming in and you want to get them connected in the community. 
The summer is probably the worst time to think about engaging the college students. So that may be the time when you train up your missional community to get ready for the next season. So you're going to pay attention to the rhythms and, uh, and, 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 and schedule of the culture that you're being sent into. Also, you're going to want to pay attention to where people who are in that context meet. Where do they eat? Where do they hang out? What kinds of things do they enjoy doing? Because you're going to have to begin to hang out and meet in those same places. Uh, you may even find that meeting in a house is not the best thing for your missional community all the time. You might say, we got to meet at this local pub because that's where the people that we're trying to reach are at. We have one of our elders who during football season, because you know he's a, a very sad, depressed uh, Buffalo Bills fan, and uh, he's from Buffalo, and, and he, has, he uh, has gotten permission from the elders in one of our churches to not be at their gathering during football season because he's at the, the pub where all the Buffalo Bills fans hang out and watch the game. And that's his missional community. That's the people he's trying to reach. So he knows that during the fall, he can't be up preaching or doing other things in the local gathering because he's going to be there engaging with his missional community at the pub. So that's thinking through the context and how the patterns of your life and the places you gather will change when you begin to reorient your life around that mission. And then we recommend that as, as you do this, as you begin to adjust your lives together, think through uh, the forming of a covenant. Now, you may not want to do this, but we found it super helpful to sit down and say, okay, what do we believe about who God is, what He's done, and who we are? What do we believe about how we proclaim the gospel? Who do we believe we're sent to? How are we going to adjust our lives on a daily, weekly, monthly yearly basis to reach those people. And let's put that down on paper and actually talk about what we're committing to for the next year and all agree that, yes, we're in. We want to do this together. And so a lot of times you have lots of ideas and plans, but you never solidify them and talk about them with the group and then agree together on what you're going to do. And I, we'd encourage doing this for uh, a nine, nine month to 12 month kind of period. We're even learning um, more recently that it's, it's helpful to even break it up into three-month segments. Like, let's revisit it. How are we doing? What do we need to change? Because things are changing so fast around us. And as you're reaching people, you're going to find that you have to keep adjusting for the mission. Or you may find you're not reaching anybody, and so you need to adjust because you've really not been very effective on the mission you thought you should have been on. So you might have to readjust on a regular basis. So that's going to be a key part of it. Then, as you're on mission, proactively to a people group, you got to work hard. And this, I'll just tell you, this is the one that often gets missed at both displaying and declaring the gospel. You got to talk about how you're going to do that. I don't have the time here to go into all the ways in which you can do this, but I would encourage you, first of all, to make sure your group knows how to speak the gospel well, that they are growing in their gospel fluency. Also, Make sure that you spend some time clarifying what will be the, the barriers to the gospel where God is sending you. Because it, it could be their past experience has been really bad. It could be it's an environment where the idea of God as Father is really bad because fathers are really bad. You could be going into a situation that's extremely well-educated. And so they, 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 the idea of faith is a really difficult thing to embrace. Could be a lot of things. And you want, to, you want to take some time to say, what will the barriers be? And then what are the possible gospel doors or pathways that we can engage to bring the gospel through? Remember, the Apostle Paul said, I, I would ask that you'd pray for me, that God would open a door for the gospel. So you might want to talk about what are the doors for the gospel. In the case of the local football team, it was being a father to the fatherless, 
coming alongside of young men on the football team and young women who are helping with the football team and saying, we want to be a family for you. That's going to be a great open door for the gospel because as we start to show the father's heart for them and the, the family's heart for them, then we get to share how God loved them through Jesus Christ. So that becomes a, a means by which you say, how are we going to display the truth of the gospel that God the Father pays attention to you and loves you, not like all the other fathers that have left? And then how do we declare that gospel into that open door? So you'll want to talk about what are the barriers what are the doors and pathways? What are the cultural idols that maybe people have, have put their trust in? When it comes to education, many people believe education will change the world. We know that Jesus has to, but education can still be good. And so we might have to realize that as we're dealing with some people in the education field, their, their hopes in education being the savior are gonna have to be addressed at some point because they're gonna be very frustrated by that because we know that, they, that they, these kids need more than just good education. So there's, those cultural idols will be something we'll have to talk through. And then I'd encourage you to talk as a group about what, what are the, the most obvious needs where we could display that the good news of the gospel takes on hands and feet? Identify what those might be like. In our local missional community uh, that I'm involved in, we're reaching out to the elementary school. And one of the things that uh, some of the people have done is provide backpacks for kids on the weekends because a lot of these kids only eat when they come to school and for breakfast and lunch and snacks after school. And so some of the people are filling backpacks and bringing those backpacks then uh, to give to kids on weekends so they can go and have food to eat on the weekend. So that's, a, that's another example of what's a real need and how can we display the truth of the gospel. As you're doing this, it's really important to stay connected to a coach, someone who can keep help the, continue to process through with you what's going well, what's not going so well, to ask you questions, to help come up with solutions. Uh, we found that the groups that do much better are the ones that have a coach, the ones that can have someone continually assess from an outside objective standpoint what they're doing and even give some recommendations for areas of, of strength to be brought to the group where they're presently weak. They can push them towards specific training that they're lacking. Uh, and so uh, and we'll, we'll talk more in another session about how, how, you, how you can coach an MC effectively. And then keep this in mind. You've got a plan from the beginning for multiplication. Uh, another way that I often will say this is sow the seeds of multiplication into the very fabric of your group. And, and what I mean by that is from the very beginning, let them know we're all not going to be together forever. You know, I, I, with my children, as soon as I, they could start to understand it, I said, you know, one day you're going to be adults. One day you're going to be a mama or a daddy. One day you're going to be off to school. One day you're going to be having your own job. And I remember my oldest, Haley, at one point said to me, Dad, what if I don't want to leave? Can I stay here forever? And I said, sweetie, you always have a place here, but I guarantee if we do our job well, you're going to want to leave. <laughs> you're going to want to grow up and, and be a mommy someday or be a, a woman who gets out on her own and gets to express the unique design that God's put in you through a career, or through an educational path or something. But God has something for you as an adult someday for you to grow up into. But I promise you, if you don't ever want to leave, we'll work through that. <laughs> but when I put it into them from the very beginning. I remember I was praying with my son one night uh, by our bedside, and, and he, he, he said, Dad, I, want to, I asked if he wanted to pray. Caleb, you want to pray? No, Dad, I don't want to pray. Okay. I want to remind you, one day you're going to be a daddy probably, and as you sit down with your kids and get on your knees one night, 
you're going to have to teach them how to pray. And I don't want to do my very best to prepare you for that day. And so I began to start praying with him. And in the middle of it, he goes, Dad? I said, what? He goes, will you teach me how to pray? And I began to teach him how to pray. What was going on there? I, I was sowing the seed of multiplication in my son. I was saying, one day you're going to do this. I, I encourage you when, you're, when you lead a, a person to Christ, as you're leading them to Jesus, to faith in Jesus, let them know as early as possible, someday you're going to do this with others. Uh, as, as you're starting your missional community, say to your missional community, hey, you aren't all going to be here forever because some of you are going to grow up in certain ways and God's going to use you to go start your own missional community or He might send you to another part of the world. And That's great. We're going to celebrate that. That's not disloyalty. That's faithfulness to what God's called you to be and do. So sow that in early. And then as you're growing, begin to identify uh, apprentice leaders that are going to take more and more responsibility for the group as they're growing up so that it's not only an idea, but they get to start seeing it happen. And then you're going to eventually have to get to a place where you send out new missional communities. And so you want to lead your group towards the birthing of new MCs. You want to want to continually ask God, who are you raising up and who should we send out and how do we best train them and equip them? And, and then, and then when we send them, like, let's prepare them well. Let's make sure they're ready. Let's make sure that they have the support they need. Let's make sure they have the coaching they need. Let's make sure they have the assessment they need so we know where they're going to struggle, where they're going to potentially fail. And I, we've learned that just like when, when you have a newborn come into your home, you celebrate. But when that newborn is walked down the aisle and given to the, into the hands of a man, you weep. And you have both celebration and weeping on a wedding day because you know that you raised her for this but now you're giving her away. And so you're celebrating and you're crying at the same time. You got to help your groups do the same thing. You got to have time to celebrate. God, what have you done amongst us? This was really good. And not all of it was easy. And there was some hard times, but man, you know, I love funerals because I mean, I don't love funerals, but I, I love it when I'm with a family and we're remembering somebody together. And when I prepare them for their funeral, it's usually lots of laughing and lots of crying. Because as they remember, hopefully, that doesn't always happen, but in many cases, they have good memories and they have hard memories. And, and then they know they've lost somebody. So I want to encourage you, when you birth out a new missional community, help people really grieve. Because otherwise, they're going to start, they're start, gonna start saying, I'm not doing that again. That's too hard to keep saying good goodbye to people. And so you got to let them s- grieve the reality of, this was great. We had a good season. God did great things. We're going to miss you like crazy. This is super hard. Why are we going through this? Oh, don't forget, this is for the sake of our king. This is for the sake of the gospel. This is for an eternity that we're going to all enjoy together. There will be a family reunion one day. It's This is only for a season. Remember that. But boy, does it hurt. And so let them be honest about them. Let them work through the real emotions. Because if they don't, they're just going to close off to ever doing it again. They're just going to say, like, I'm never doing that again. It's too painful. Uh, and it, it, this is what happens to people in every relationship. When, when we mourn something in a relationship, if they don't grieve what happened in that, they actually stop engaging in relationships eventually. And we don't want that for God's people. Now, let me just say a, another caveat here. Let me just encourage you to not make your goal just to multiply structures, but to multiply disciples, to train up people who will be sent out to start new works, not to just make it your goal to take one big group and divide it into two and call that multiplication. That's actually just division. If we didn't train up and raise up more disciples, we're not doing multiplication. So we want to keep disciple making in front of us in this entire process. And then last, as this happens, 
you're going to find that more and more mission communities getting started will lead to the potential of more and more equipping centers, or you might even call them churches. God's going to allow new churches to get started as more and more mission communities go out. And I want to encourage you, have this in front of you. If you don't have it in front of you, what you'll actually tell people is, it's okay that you start a missional community and it's okay that you send out two or three, but if you guys ever become your own church, I mean, that's gonna be like you're disloyal to the family. Instead of saying, no, we expect there to be a day when you'll be able to lead and equip people that God's given you, and we would love to see more and more churches planted as a result of the work that God did through you. So keep that in front of your people the entire time. Now, like I said, there's a whole lot of training on every one of these things that we want to provide for you. What I'd like you to do maybe as a group, first of all, is say, which one of these do you think your group most desperately needs right now, if you've already started? Where are you weak right now? Second, what, what pathway will you take to begin to engage in one of these? Maybe it's to watch another video and have a discussion together. Maybe it's to get some extended training in a particular way from somebody. But what are you gonna do next to address that issue? And then third, um, if, if you were to live that out faithfully, what could you imagine your group would be like if you actually began to live that out better? Hi, it's me, Brad, again. I just want to sort of chime in here at the end and let you know that this was the audio of a training video that Jeff did. This is part one of, of many parts that he walks through all the crucial components and aspects of a missional community. And you can check that out on saturatetheworld.com, as well as the many other training videos and series that we have. So make sure that you do that if you're if this sort of piqued your interest and you want more, you also are able to see the whiteboard action and all of that stuff. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. This podcast is produced by Saturate. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.